A beginning is the time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct. This every sister of the Bene Gesserit knows. To begin your study of the life of Moadib, then take care that you first place him in his time. Born in the 57th year of the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, and take the most special care that you locate Moadib in his place, the planet Arrakis. Do not be deceived by the fact that he was born on Caladan and lived his first 15 years there. Arrakis, the planet known as Doom, is forever his place. From Manual of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Spice World. My name's Derek. My name's Mike. And this is an intoxicated exploration into Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh, one more thing. I I meant to change intoxicated to inebriated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should have updated that before I was intoxicated and you were inebriated. (laughs) Oh, no. There's always next week. Well, Mike, this is our first episode. Um, we're going to start reading through the Dune book together, which you've never even flipped the cover open. No, this is the first time. And it's going to be probably the sixth or seventh time through for me. <laughs> uh, I, I love this book. I prosterilized with this book, and I'm glad I've been able to get you to start reading it. Uh, we did get together for a little talk last week, mm-hmm. so you're not going in completely blind. Right. It was like a little bit of a, a, a timeline throughout the, uh, the like us first leaving Earth, Terra, and going out into the solar systems as a whole. Yeah, uh, admittedly, we really did uh, a deep dive into the weeds. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, 30,000 years of history that don't, aren't really relevant to the book up till then. <laughs> uh, but I was really happy to go through and give you uh, some legs to stand on before we start, mainly just to cover the biggest points in this history, which is the Butlerian Jihad, when we overthrew thinking machines and stopped using computers altogether as a right. society. And uh, I'm glad you did, because the uh, Butlerian Jihad is brought up uh, in a, a brief sentence, even in this first chapter. That we're right from the, yeah, right from the get go. Yes. Uh, it's very unforgiving. Uh, and then I think in the back of the book, the appendix only gives you the briefest glimmer. Yeah. Almost like a plot hook from Dungeons and Dragons uh, that lets your imagination run wild. Uh, so I was glad we, we delved into some details and we're not going to recap it all just here. Uh, but I think as we're going, we'll be able to really shed light on all those bits for everybody listening. All right. So, Mike. Before we get into this uh, chapter summary of chapter one. Did you ever have to move when you were growing up or change schools? Oh, yeah. In between have some times of loneliness. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is going to be what we're stepping into Paul's life for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul is 15. He's lived the same place uh, his entire life. He's had the same teachers. Hasn't really had any friends. Uh, he's a big noble high up on the food chain. He's not allowed to interact. Lives with in a castle. Other. Lives in a castle. Uh, castle. Oh, Castle Caladan. Little home sweet home. Um, but yeah, no, it seems like he's had a... You're right. Somewhat of a lonely upbringing. Uh, maybe maybe it's not lonely. Maybe he just doesn't really know what that experience is like. 
Um, it seems like he has definitely had lots of training and interaction. He seems very close to his mother. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll get into the relationship of him and his teachers. Uh, I just really wanted to point out as we go into this, uh, this is this is a little boy in a point of transition, uh, mm-hmm. let alone he's moving, going to a whole new world, uh, let alone a little new home. This kid's going through puberty and this kid is having sort of the way of the world thrust onto his shoulders very quickly. Uh, right from the get go, we're never going to see Paul having a normal day. Uh, we're <laughs> joining him one week before everyone is getting out of this castle. Is this the most normal we're ever going to be? Yeah, probably. This is probably the most uh, tranquil moments of his life is this hectic week. Uh, and as we're going to go into this very crazy day of his mm-hmm. uh, leading up to. So why don't we uh, we'll dive right in. Is there anything else you want to mention? No, let's just a summer? go. Let's just do it. Yeah. Uh, chapter one opens with a quote from a rather mysterious character in that she doesn't show up anywhere else in the chapter. And that's Princess Irulan. Yeah, you know what? I had a lot to say about this. Like, it took me a couple, uh, couple readings of this to sort of grab an idea of what's happening. So it references Muad, what Muadib? Muadib. Muadib. Now, it seems like this is taking place in the future, and this is sort of like to understand about this individual. We're going to start from all the way back. Right oh, from yeah, his origin. You mean this quote. This is quote. even future. Yeah, from this, the story. it feels yeah. like it's a future story, a future character. I got to ask because there's so many similarities. We just established Paul is 15. We're at Castle uh, Kaladin is uh, Muadim Paul. I'm going to I'm going to pull his bandit off right now. This is the one reveal we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's always one of the same. I feel like it's not yeah. really a spoiler because it just it's the first thing you read. Yeah, there's not. But it also is just not as clear as right. like just saying, by the way, Moadib's real name is Paul Atreides. Gotcha. It's not it's not a very uh, sort of spacefaring kind of name, is it? Paul. Oh, OK. I thought you were going to say Moadib. No, that's pretty disagree. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul's Paul's pretty plain. Modib is pretty awesome. Yeah, Modib. Um, yeah, let's dive into this quote a little bit. Uh, it does set up a lot of things with just a little clues. Uh, we mentioned the Bene Gesserit and that every sister of the Bene Gesserit knows. We're at least getting a hint that this is a sisterhood. Yes. An organization. Uh, we refer to, as you said, the life of Modib. Uh, just kind of, I think, heightening the importance of this character before we even set foot into meeting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a really enigmatic kind of one is the 57th year, the Padishah Emperor, Shaddam IV. Uh, Padishah Emperor is a cool um, combination of words. It's three different words. Emperor, uh, we're very familiar with right. in uh, Roman and Western culture. Padishah is a combination of two Arabic words, and this is coming out of, I believe, uh, the influence of the Persian Empire that was conquered by the Roman Empire that became this empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Padi means master, and Shah means king. This is the master king emperor, Shaddam IV. <laughs> As if like one wasn't enough. Like you just, you know, just in case there's any question, <laughs> you know where this guy, he's at the top. All right. Um, the final part of that quote uh, really pushes us to take special care that we place Moabdib in his place uh, and is telling us to kind of disregard our Caladan. Moabdib is forever from Arrakis. Well, um, and every, so 
I've been looking at the table of contents here on my little book here, and it doesn't have any chapters. It just has book one, book two, and book three. Um, just to sort of give ourselves some semblance of uh, escalation and like tracking where we are in the book. I think every time we start with one of these large quotes and passages, we're just going to call that a chapter. Yeah, for right. uh, convenience sake. Yeah, that is uh, it's generally accepted in the community. All right. Uh, that's cool, because I'm not going to do this one book at a time. That is a lot to read. Definitely. The uh, books themselves were individually published uh, in a magazine before. So the spacing and how it was put into those pages, I believe, is why it's set up the way it is. Hmm. At the same time, it's been 50 years. I, I think we can go back and write chapter in uh, each <laughs> it of these. Be, it'd be nice. It, it keeps track as we go. Um, for everyone's sake, we will be reading the uh, quote within each chapter. We'll put that right. in the forward of the episode. And um, if the quote's too long, we'll just, you know, get you know, an abridged version. Get the snippet of it. Yeah. The most important. Uh, within these quotes, it's also each of them are going to reference uh, a book that Princess Irulan wrote. Uh, so... We're going to be pulling from the manual of Moadib first, and you'll see she has some other titles. Uh, so it's not all from one book by her. Are we going to meet her at any point? We will. Uh, yeah, she Excellent. is. Uh, you'll you'll learn her place in the universe. Uh, she becomes a very prominent historian, hence the writing of this. Uh, yes. And then I guess clearly from this, you could also infer that she has to have some connection to Moadib. Mm -hmm. That is, she is able to be somewhat of an expert and write on him. Uh, who do you think she is? Well, I feel like she's got to be on Arrakis. I don't know her place within Arrakis, per se, but. Um, speaking of which, there's I have some questions about sort of the populace of, of Dune and how their uh, politics or lack thereof work. Sure. It seems like there's. Why, yeah. don't, why don't you hold on to that until okay. we get through uh, the, our summary of this chapter? All right, and we'll, all right. we'll touch on any lingering uh, points and thoughts you have. All right. Uh, for now, let's let's head in uh, to the meat of this. And chapter one opens in Castle Caladan mm -hmm. the week before the Atreides are moving to the planet Arrakis. Right. And they're moving because the contract for mining spice has been given to their family and estate. Even a little more complicated. So they do have a uh, a directorship in the Chome Company that will let them mine this spice, and they will be the sole producers of it. More important is that they are given a fife complete of that planet. Mm -hmm. So they are moving in and replacing the Harkonnens and having complete control over this world. Right, and the Harkonnens we've established in this chapter are the enemy of uh, the Atreides. Yeah, they are. Like they don't like each other. No, they they have an ancient feud that goes back to the Butlerian Jihad. Gotcha. We uh, may have touched on that in our little like. Uh, yeah, yeah. I gave you a, a brief uh, bit, and in it, it was uh, mainly that during a key fight, uh, the, I believe the Battle of Carino, the Harkonnen commander uh, saw that he wasn't going too well, so he pulled his ships out. And in that, the enemies were able to flank them, but fortunately, a commander, this young Atreides, was able to rally up some captains and hold that flank and basically save the battle oh. from them being overthrown. Uh, after that, the Atreides got all the accolades and treasures and promotions you could want. Even though they didn't do anything. Well, no, they did. They saved the day, legitimately. Uh, the Harkonnens, though, like, they weren't completely wrong in their actions, and... 
Okay. Within the amount of time that's passed, history has sort of diluted what the actual error or causes were in those situations. They so, just know that they don't like each other. Yeah, I mean, at this point, all the parties involved probably aren't able to put too big of a, you know, a pin into what the actual problem is, but right. they just know my grandfather hated his grandfather, and that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> but we're getting a little, little ahead of ourselves, though. Uh, we're in this castle, Caladan. Mm-hmm. This family's been given the planet Arrakis. So they're preparing to move. They have to move their entire outfit. They don't get to keep Caladan when they leave. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. That It's not made especially clear, but yeah, Caladan is going to somebody else. Uh, We'll meet that person later on. Uh, It's not too critical. We're never going to come back to this world, uh, but we'll spend some time here in the beginning. Uh, But so for right now, you just know it's, it's in a flurry and they are in this last week moving every bit of resources and personnel they have off world. Okay. Uh, that doesn't include the population of the planet. The serfs are tied to the land. They stay where they are. Okay. Uh, we're just talking the nobility and this power, the noble house that's moving. And on this particular night that uh, we're coming into, so we're one week out from moving, It's kind of late in the evening. The lady Jessica of the castle is leading this old woman through. Oh, a mysterious. Uh, I believe we call her an old crone. Yeah, right you when know, we meet her. I just want to sidebar, man. We don't use the word crone enough. We don't. <laughs> this is the, it's a great word. And I think even Paul uses it later <laughs> yeah. on when he gets kind of snippy at her. And it's fantastic. Um, her, and her the, description is kind of terrifying that she's like a witch shadow. She's got these like glowing green eyes. And. Uh, I think at one they point were, they, were, like, they were glowing green eyes, but they were like um, beady eyes. Oh yeah, they're like uh, glittering bird, jewels. Bird-like is what they refer eyes to. is what they refer to. Uh, it's bird-like when Paul's looking up the bird when it's like a prey looking down. Oh, at him. that's uh, but they're, scary. they're the glittering jewels when we first describe her in that witch description, and then yeah, uh, so her eyes are always very described. Does it mention her having like terrible like? metal looking teeth or is that just the wine talking i think that's the wine talking okay. uh, we do. All right. she has uh i can I read the line for you oh please the old woman was a witch shadow hair like matted spider webs hooded uh hooded round darkness of features eyes like glittering jewels that's, okay. a, that's our yeah, old that's pre- okay yeah that's pretty intense yeah uh that and is I, scary. I, i'm glad you caught on the fact that we use witch in the first instance we see here mm-hmm. uh she is a bene Gesserit. she is a reverend mother right and now what, uh, what what is that in terms of the the bene Gesserit sisterhood is that like top of the food chain kind of deal or just sort of like a, a title of you're the one that trained me or you're super wise um, I can tell you, Benny, um, Reverend Mother is a title. Okay. Benny Jesuit is the organization. Right, right. And they, yeah, they are a sisterhood, only female members. Mm-hmm. They have, um, they, they delve into politics. And they, I, I wouldn't say they're at the top, but they are intentionally not at the top. The um, Reverend Mothers? The Bene Jesuit as a whole. No, um, no, I know that. I was just talking about Reverend Mother and where oh, she oh, stood. Oh, within the hierarchy of the yeah. Bene Gesserit. Yes, sorry. exactly. I thought you meant within the universe. No, and I was like, <laughs> they play a Dude, backhand. I'm starting on chapter one. Let me, let me, <laughs> a little bit let of me crawl first. Yeah, uh, no, she is very much uh, top of the top. Um, so within the Bene Gesserit, what's kind of sneaky is Reverend Mother is a front title they use towards the populace. So everyone knows about that term that we call them Reverend Mothers. Okay. And it actually applies to um, four or five different ranks within that hierarchy. So the Reverend Mother is the most developed of the Bene Gesserit sisters. She's completed her training on 
every level and has um, gone through a uh, ceremony called the Water of Life, which gives her special powers, uh, which we did uh, oh, touch on at the end. Yeah, and I wanted to go over one of those, but let's finish our synopsis before we... Yeah, we'll, we'll put a little pin in this one, and we'll sure. get back to the Bene Gesserit. Um, they're phenomenal, and I can talk at length about them. <laughs> uh, so this old woman has come into the castle. She's being led in by Jessica, and... I need to highlight just how, again, I'm always going to be saying how unusual this day is, let alone for Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the lady of the house. Uh, she right. is the highest ranking within that family. She is a concubine, but she is basically the de facto woman of the family. Right, because she's also the mother of the Duke's heir. Of the ducal heir, correct. And, and uh, Paul. Yeah. And from what, uh, she doesn't speak a lot in this chapter, but from what I have heard, she uh, she seems almost... Uh, pious i want to say almost like a like a humble monk the way she speaks sure. so I, I you're seeing a lot of the benny desert training uh just is that of, that's be the common? presentation of it okay no oh, lady jessica is an amazing woman um I'll, i can actually we'll draw a little thread of how she is uh rebellious and very much her own person and yeah uh, i also have something to ask about that later yeah yeah so uh, let me keep going in that uh the lady jessica is leading this old woman through and this old woman is very much kind of putting her in her place even as we're going like mm-hmm. she is kind of let you know being led to this one why are you taking this old woman to go look in at your son the ducal heir while he's sleeping a week before you guys are supposed to be moving like everything about this is very peculiar and so the old woman is there. She's looking in on Paul. Paul's not asleep though. Yeah, Paul's he's got sort of, he's sort of faking slits. it. It's like, what's going on there? Yeah, which totally done that in my childhood. You know, you <laughs> you're just sneaky and you want to know, yeah. and uh, you feign, do simple breaths, keep it level. But and... uh, she knows. She immediately knows that he's not asleep. So that's her Bene Gesserit training right there. From what I've I've seen so far, the Bene Gesserit are all about observation. Yeah. And minute details able to pick up on that. So uh, her being Reverend Mother, I assume she is just like cream of the crop. She can spot all those tiny little bits. Right. And as you know, from later on, we'll know that she taught Jessica too. Mm -hmm. She is a teacher on top of that, of this whole skill. Jessica taught Paul. So like you get this train of like they all have the same skills, basically. And this is the OG form of it. Uh, So it doesn't. Phase guys, Helen Mahayam, uh, that is the old crone's name, uh, a minute wake. As soon as she looks in, she knows Paul's awake, and uh, I think she just comments on she, uh, she's, that he's, uh, he's awake and listening to us. Sly little rascal. But royalty has need of slyness. And if he's really the Quisach Hutterock, well, and she kind of ponders off. Um, this is like gets Paul's mind racing. And that's something you should kind of key in on, too, is that Paul, not a normal kid. He's gone through a lot of unique education. And uh, one of the things I'm going to kind of reveal to you now, just so you can have an appreciation in this chapter, is that Paul is being trained as a mentat. Okay, and I think I kind of had a feeling about that uh, because he has some sort of like prescience or ability to like see into the future or possibilities. It seems... He even says during a dream that he has of a cavern with dripping water and a very solemn environment of individuals that uh, he'll remember that dream because all of his prediction dreams. 
So like you are onto something, oh. but that is not in relation to him being a Mentat. Oh damn! Uh, the Mentat is a organization of people that came about after we got rid of computers, and they train humans to think like computers. Uh, and it was a way we basically got rid of a crutch, and we made the school of Mentats, and they are able to operate uh, by all intensive purposes. And what we hear in the book is that they are better than any computer that ever existed. Uh, once we get the human mind going and um, part of the training of a mentat is that they can't be told that they are being trained in their youth. Uh, then once they're growing up, uh, we'll get to a point in a few pay in a few chapters where it will be revealed to Paul. Oh. Uh, the mentat does have to be told so that they can function in that method. And do they have to get to a certain age before? They, uh, I don't think it's an age. I think it's more of like a progress in the program. Okay. Uh, we don't like ever go into this. You know, we're never sitting down for Paul in a class and going like specifically, how is he categorizing this information? Suffice to say, it's a lot of like tagging any information you get with keywords and labels. So that it's all sorted out in your mind. You just a search engine. Yeah. And you just pull it out. Right. Um, so he, he's got that training. He's got Bene Gesserit training from his mother. He has like the best training money could offer anyway, school wise, weapon wise. He's really, really intense kid uh, for only 15. Um, yeah, so they leave. He has his little prediction dream as he so often does. Uh, next morning comes. Ooh, uh, well, before they leave, I would like to point out there's one great bit. Um, and this is just to Gaius Helen Mahayam. She takes uh, no crap from anybody as she's moving through. Uh, we'll see when she has her little back and forth with Paul. And there's one line that I really love. And it's after she looks in on him and she knows he's awake. And she's like, ah, sly rascal. And then when she leaves, she specifically, as she was gone, pushing his mother out. Closing the door with a thought solid thump. So I just love that he pushes the mother like one expressing her dominance that way. And then knowing he's awake, just slams that door shut. I'm like, don't worry about him sleeping. Poor, oh man, poor Paul must just be so confused too, because his, his mother's always been referred to as Lady Jessica. Anything else than that is just like, you know, a handmaiden or just like, you know, a servant. The, yeah, the Reverend Mother, she's a force unto herself. Uh, and I'm really going to look forward to getting into her a little bit. Uh, she will come back into chapter three, which is going to be fun. Um, but after she leaves and slams that door on him, we get to go into kind of Paul's mind. Uh, and that's what you were starting to get into where he starts thinking and his mind is racing um, about everything that's been going on. And we get this little mantra of his Arrakis doom, desert planet. Then he goes in and he starts thinking about what uh, Thufir Hawat had said to him, his mentat. And that's when we really get the plot uh, summed up for us, which you, you did bring up in the beginning of this outline that the Harkonnens are the enemies. They are giving up the planet Arrakis. They had a fife, um, a quasi fife. So not a fife complete, which is what the Atreides are going to get. Okay. They were kind of there. Always with like a little asterisk, we can take you out at any second. The emperor could. Um, one family and one family alone gets to have a raucous at a time. How for how long? I'm not sure. Uh, the Harkonnens had it for 80 years. Whoa, 
Yeah. Um, also, lifespans are a little longer. It's like a full. Oh, I guess it's not a full generation then. Yeah, the melange extends life. I can't say to what extent. Hmm. Uh, I think it's somewhere between 180 and 280 years. You know, it's funny. I was listening to an audio version of this to sort of like refresh myself on the chapter. And uh, I was looking at a, a box of spiced cake mix at the grocery store. And <laughs> it was just like, oh, this is like, ah, spice. And I turned it over and on the back is like a different, uh, different language. And it's French, I assume, for like the French Canadians in the area. Um, but for the word mix was melange. Oh, oh my and God. I had to look it up and it's yeah. a French word that means like medley or like mixture. Yeah. Was, uh, that completely blew me away. I'm just like, what? There's no way. It, uh, even more specifically, it is a mixture of uh, rocks uh, as well. Oh. Uh, there's a geological uh, word derived from it where it is sort of like, uh, I want to say sort of like a composition like sandstone, uh, where it's this mix of atypical sized uh, rocks and sand all that was, together. Th- what uh, uh, so wonderful that you did some lines. Yeah, that's uh, crazy cool. That is, yeah. A lot of these words we're going to be able to find kind of roots to where Frank Herbert pulled them from various places. So melange, spice, same thing. Yes. Gotcha. Only found on Arrakis, also known as Dune. Desert planet. And that's why it's so wonderful for our family to get this fife. Yes. Uh, the melange cannot be artificially produced. Right. So you've got to get it off the planet. And then it is extends the life of people that consume it. So it is invaluable to the nobility. They all take it. Um, the Spacing Guild can't fold space without it. The Bene Gesserit can't look down their ancestral lines without it. Everybody's got a need for spice. We're going to have to do a deep dive into spice once we sort of like have our first experience with it. That's oh, we can get some. <laughs> never taste the same twice. Oh, man. I, I got a spice. It'll guy. never be I as can good. Get some spice. <laughs> Uh, on top of them moving and getting a fight complete of Arrakis, they're going to get a share of the Chome Company, which is the economic powerhouse that kind of has a tariff on every resource moving, or rather a tax would be a better word. Every resource that moves in the universe, Comb gets a cut of it. Okay, where is that mentioned? That every resource in the universe is taxed by comb? Yeah. Uh, that's going to be probably in the Dune Encyclopedia. Okay, gotcha. I, I don't know if where I could tell you I got it in the book. Uh, okay. Comb is going to come up in every Dune book. It's huge. It's one of Just our, something to keep in mind then. Yeah. Uh, as Gaius Helmaheim says, it's one of the tripods that this whole universe stands on. Okay. Um, it is a... Uh, she refers to it as the coffer that every great house dips into as much as it can. All right. So we meet our protagonist, Paul. He is visited by Reverend Mother. And uh, she's come here to test Paul for some reason. We don't quite know why at this point, but they leave. Paul sort of muses over some of the things that they, uh, they spoke about, one of which was this crazy sort of name for the test what they call it the uh well she mentions uh, gong, looking in on like you'll see my gom jaba yeah the gong jaba rings in his head for a second what a like very spooky sounding name too it's a gong jaba it is one of the ones i don't i don't have the entomology on that either yeah. uh so that one's going to be a little bit of a mystery and she does mention this test and it gets paul's mind racing right and we actually see him kind of switch and he goes into a few different modes 
Uh, and we get an idea of that he has Bene Gesserit training himself. Right. Uh, where he kind of really controls his breathing and uh, uh, dilates it because he's getting tense and just relaxes himself. And this is sort of the first uh, glimpse we have as to what Bene Gesserit actually do or are as a uh, organization or sisterhood. Well, I do find it interesting that Paul, as a, a boy, has this training. I don't know if that's uh, a common thing within the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, uh, I mean, Gaius Helenmahaya makes a point of saying that it's kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, whole okay. presence. All right, um, but yeah. So the next morning comes. Uh, Lady Jessica comes in to uh, fetch Paul, and this is actually a scene I love. Being that you got to keep in mind, Paul is 15 years old, mm-hmm. and his mom comes in for his special day and lays out clothes for him <laughs> on his bed. <laughs> a very picks, special boy picks his outfit. Yeah, <laughs> he sits on the bed and literally hugs his knees and mm-hmm. asks her, "What's a gom jabar?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's true. Great. It's great. It's uh, a tender moment. Um, and then oh. she, she just sends him off at that point. She does. It, she seems. She's scared. She is scared, although she doesn't show it. I think it's just uh, from what I from what I know of the Bene Gesserit, they're just very, uh, very in tune with observation and he, with his training that his mother gave him. He seems to pick up on those very minute mm-hmm. details. It's like muscle twitches. Like, and no one else micro would notice expression ever. But yeah. he does. Which I find interesting because he is, you know, the student of her. Um, maybe it's because of their familiarity. Maybe he's just a prodigy. I don't know yet. Um, so he goes to uh, see the Reverend Mother. And uh, she is sassy. I like her. She in her fairness, Paul is pretty sassy. Paul is very sassy. I Paul uh, comes in right away. I do not appreciate Paul gives her a very distinct bow saying, I don't know who you are and I don't know <laughs> if I need to respect you. Right. Not even just going on the side of caution and be like, yes, uh, I bow to you. And yeah. And then she administers a test. Yeah. The, the gong, gong Jabon. or that's not the name of the test, so to speak, but it is a part of it. So the test is she pulls out this uh, small little cube. So glowing green, I believe it is, except for one side is just pitch black. Yeah, no it's depth just, uh, it's, a, it's a green metal cube, 15 mm-hmm. centimeters on each side. And uh, she says, first part of the test, stick your hand into it. Uh, they have their little banter back and forth. And uh, eventually he does do it. Yeah, she sort of commands him to do it. So, and he yeah, does. This is very key. All the steps of this process are really cool. And she uses a thing called the voice. Yeah, I want to talk about the voice, but we'll we'll get to that you in a second. I mean, we'll just put a little pin in for right now. Jedi mind trick. Yeah, and it works. And and he the, puts I feel his hand in. There's a lot of Star Wars kind of like thought processes with this yeah. that I have. And uh, right away, the first thing is he feels slick, slick metal. And then it feels like his hands asleep. The prickling right. sensation of a sleeping hand. Um. And as as he does that, she also sort of uh, holding the cube in one hand. She takes her other hand and puts up to his neck. Mm-hmm. And with a, a glint of metal, exactly. he realizes it was something a glint of metal in, in the corner of his eye. He right. goes to turn his head. And she says, no, stop using the voice again. Right. So it is compulsory. And he stops. And uh, she reveals that it is a needle with the uh, Jean. Was it the Gong Jibang? <laughs> to what you had it right so many times before that's uh, the, the, the wine talking yeah uh, the needle with the gum jabar the gum the high-handed enemy um it is a type of poison and she she does make a reference that like oh all royalty nobility know their poisons you have to in this day and age mm-hmm. um but let me show you a new one that you've probably never heard of 
and it is a poison that from what I understand works instantly. It she uh, likens it to the uh, executioner's axe coming down and almost an instant death. Um, the catch is it only kills animals, which Paul finds super offensive. Like right from the get go, like what do you mean? Are you calling me an animal? You're I'm calling a duke son. I'm a duke son. And so sad. I think we definitely immediately learn his uh, a bit of his character flaw. It's just like he's got a whole lot of pride. Like you can't do that to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a completely fair assessment, and uh, I think that's he great. He's very confident of his station in life. Which I think is kind of proof that it's never been challenged before. I mean, he, how can he? He's no, just one had, would, no one would have. Yeah, right. 15. Uh, now, did you catch the first part of this test? The first part was to put the, from what I understand. Well, no, no, just, no, like from where we are right now. Oh, so okay, gotcha. the hand is in the box. The Gomjabar is at the neck. And she what says, does she do next? She says there's only one rule. Uh, you cannot take your hand out. If you do, you die. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, uh, Gomjabar will. Gomjabar. No, it's it's. Uh... No, it's the Gomjabar. It's wrong in your notes. You had autocorrect on some things. Oh, well, why didn't <laughs> you? Why didn't you? Just well, I didn't know until now. I thought you were just. I was going phonetically from what I heard in the. Uh... Gotcha. It's J or G O M space G A B B A R. Gomjabar. Derek. But that's why I was confused. Like you said it right the first couple times. I guess you were just repeating what I said. All right, this is close enough. All right, so Gom Jabbar, Gom Jabbar, Gom Gom Jabbar, Gom Jabbar, Gom Jabbar. Um, it's like uh, how you would drunkenly say, "I'm going to the bar." Gom Jabbar. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, uh, we're just gonna need to have like phonetics with Derek as our outro here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she says, uh, "If you take it out, I'm going to stab you with this needle, and you will just die." It's like you can try and run, but you know I'm old, but I'll still get you. Oh, she's quick. <laughs> yeah, I think she is. I think she's definitely like selling herself short there. Yeah, no. See, so he it's just like, oh, okay. Um, then the pain starts to ensue. It starts. Okay. Like, so like, there's one thing before that happens. Oh yeah. And this okay. is my favorite little bit: is that she touches a dry finger to his neck, just to see if he'll flinch. Ah. Before the pain even starts, then she turns the machine on. Oh, man. So that's that's one of those steps then probably in that test. Well, I think it's like the test of like, do I even have to do all this work before I go on? Let's just check real quick. Okay, might be a human. I'll keep going. Right. Um, Uh, And it's just like a microcontrol that he won't just react. He's thinking. He's conscious. He's choosing to be conscious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that seems to be a, a theme. Uh, throughout this, he he does that while he's within sort of his dream state, having his prediction dreams where he's trying to um, have the conscious consciousness, so to speak. What would you call that? Like a meta conscious? I mean, uh, like the prescience. OK, I think it's the fair word. So, yeah, the uh, his hand starts to burn. It starts to feel immense pain. Mm hmm. Um, and he he's afraid he begins to even like repeat this mantra to himself, which I want to talk about later because it's just dope as hell. Oh, yeah. The litany of fear, the litany against fear. It starts to just increase and increase. And he even says, oh, it's burning. She's like, shut up. <laughs> just you know, do the test. And he uh, he does it like he doesn't flinch. Uh, gets to a point where he's pretty sure that his hand is melted to the bone and will just be like ash and like 
complete gore when he removes it. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, yeah, I mean, Re- she she forces him to take she, his hand yeah. out. He is not down to do. It. He's very. I, I don't scared. know if it's that he can't like not down to do it. It's just I think he's like he's in so much pain that he doesn't. Yeah, he's know. in shock. Yeah, he is in shock because to an extent. Um, I don't think he's still in pain when he takes it out. It says that it flicks off almost like a switch where just all the pain immediately cuts off. It's just the fear of expectation. Exactly. And she, you're right. She has to sort of order him to take it out. And he does. And his hand's completely fine. Uh, not completely fine. He has four marks in it. No, 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 no. For no. the, the nails. No, that's on his left hand. It is on his left hand. Yeah. So okay. he, uh, his right hand is in it and he is freaking out. So his oh, left hand is clenching. He, yeah, he's clenching his hand and digging into his. Oh my God. I, I've had that wrong for seven years. Yeah, no. Um, and I think it's so funny too, where, where he experienced the most pain, completely fine. And where he sort of like had complete control over the situation. That's where he did the most damage to himself. Yeah, that is that's a good. You I thought captured that, the duality yeah. of the moment, and that is a lot of what we uh, experience in this book. Especially when she says, "We do this to sort out the humans from the animals: your animalistic nature and tendencies versus your humanistic rationale and ability to calculate and think for yourself and think about the future." Animals think in the moment; humans think about the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. That is uh, super insightful. Yeah. So he takes it out, and she says. Uh, that's incredible. Like no other, uh, woman child has ever resisted that much pain before. And she even admits that she went a little too far. Yeah. I think it, it wasn't admitting it to Paul. I think she was sort of admitting it to herself and being observant. Like, Oh, I think I actually was going too hard on you. Yeah. Kind of, kind of both. Yeah. Uh, it is just an admission into the open yeah. of, she doesn't seem to really lie. She seems to just sort of like say like, what is, She'll withhold truths, but she doesn't seem to. I was going to bring that one point up, which Paul catches. Right. And he says, like, she's not lying, but she's not telling me the truth. (laughs) Right. Yeah. She chooses her words very carefully. I I like her as a character so far. Well, that kind of brings us very close. Once Paul's hand is out, uh, it brings us to the end. And she asks him to uh, sit at his feet. Right. And he is. No, (laughs) he says no. Although, um. She, I mean, like, he takes it as a, well, I'm not some dog to you, but she also says, come, little brother, sit at my feet. Like, she, like, it's almost an instant, you're accepted into the Bene Gesserit now. You're part of this, even though it's a sisterhood. She so, says little brother, which I, I think. Right, right, uh, I mean, I don't know if you need to interpret that as the Bene Gesserit or as just a human. Oh, he's that's what, interesting. He, you know, he is he is human stock now for sure. Okay, and I think that that is kind of more what she's getting to. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, rather than like a full Bene Gesserit, uh, but there is a little bit of that. Uh, he's in a unique situation where we already know the Emperor's true sayer has come to administer this whole test, mm-hmm. uh, and then she asks if he hates them, uh, and then brings uh, Jessica in into the room. She had been standing outside the door. Then going forward, uh, we mentioned that they hate. She has him sit down and she's willing to have a little bit of a talk with Paul and kind of explain uh, what this test was about and what the purpose of it was. Right. And they, she brings up a, a, a word constantly. What is that? It's a name of some sorts. The Kwisatz Haderach. Yeah, the Kwisatz Haderach. Um, now, we don't necessarily know the exact meaning of that, but what we come to understand is that it's some sort of like prophesized being um it is supposed to be uh relevant to the drug that the sisterhood consumes to uh enhance their 
observation skills to the point where they can see inwardly into their own sort of DNA and uh, a bloodline. Yeah, so you, it's separate from their observation. Um, okay. That is just part of their training. The bloodline thing is sort of like next level. Right. Um, so all Bene Gesserit have that training. Like, so Jessica has the training of Minutia. She can't look into her ancestral line. Oh, well, no. Well, She's she- not a reverend mother. Oh, only a very few can do only that. Only a reverend mother. I did you, not know that. You got to you got to finish the whole course. Uh, reverend <laughs> mother is like getting your doctorate. Gotcha. You you are really well established. Um and then on top of that, this reverend mother also has a thing called truth sense. Uh which in our conversation with Paul, we even revealed that uh Paul has this sense. He can he can uh sense when people are telling the truth or believe that they're telling the truth. I think that was the the sting the distinction. Yeah. And he's able to kind of tell the difference between the two even. Right. Uh, basically, uh, maybe we want to highlight the opposite in that he can really know when you're lying mm-hmm. and you are intentionally deceiving. That is a crazy cool ability to have. Yeah. In a 15 year old boy. <laughs> That's actually a dangerous ability to have. <laughs> Might be scary, but you can see the importance for the emperor to have someone with this capacity. True. Who stands in his court. So we find out that Paul has true sense and he uses that in his conversation with the other true sayer in the room. So both these people can't lie to one. That, that makes for a very interesting dialogue, too. Yeah, especially, especially when they're always asking questions. I was going to say, especially where this dialogue ends. Yeah. Um, but so they go back and forth a little bit on um, what the Bene Gesserit are. Uh, they, you know, she just says we are just here to provide a Thread of continuity through human affairs. And they do that by basically altering, not altering, but sort of uh, maintaining and choosing genetic lines to progress. Like they'll say, you and you get together because this dominant gene is what's needed right now. Um, they usually do that within the Bene Gesserit themselves, and they'll assign like... So that, uh, no, they do that, it's outside. Oh, it's outside, outside. Bene Gesserit. Okay. Um, they, they exercise a remarkable level of control overbreeding when they when they look at a planet they consider it stock okay and that's why they keep using the word stock yeah they're they're like, i mean we they, separate the animal stock from the human, human stock so that we just have humans human. sort of progressing yeah. going forward and finding the right thing it's it's ruthless but like I, it's I mean, very uh i mean keep in mind this is written in a very weird period <laughs> where i think the racistness of eugenics was not fully digested <laughs> by the population uh he does a, a benign version of eugenics in the universe mm-hmm. uh, where there are no wrong or malicious actors in the field. Right. Um, and Paul questions this uh, right away, though he does key in that the Bene Gesserit are about politics. Right. And, uh, and uh, she thinks that that's very astute of him because remarkably there are very flu- few clues. Very few clues, that, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, final thing we get to within their conversation is she brings up this truthsayer drug. Now, so this truthsayer drug lets her reach this sort of um, super level of consciousness. And other specific uh, Betty Jesuit, the Reverend Mothers, as you said. And it lets them see back into their bloodline, their memories within their bloodline, but only of the feminine mm-hmm. blood. Uh, none of the uh, paternal influences there on the male side. Correct. Um, but she says the uh, Kwisatz Haderach is prophesized. It'll be a male capable of taking this drug and singing into both feminine and masculine memories, which means as far back as human history could go pretty much. Yeah. Which 
Which they may not even have a record of anymore. I don't necessarily know. This is chapter one. Oh. We don't know that much. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, we're kind of going to close. I think this little thing, but uh, there is a book that exists within the Dune universe. Uh, I believe it's the it's like the story of a thousand voices. And it's basically one Bene Gesserit goes into her past. She just lets these voices speak through her and they write it all down. And it goes back all these years. And it's something like 2000 people that they end up taking a biography. Wow. But some they don't even know the language that she's speaking in. Because it's so far back and we just have no idea. Are they like dead languages too? Yeah. yeah. So it's just like they have Jibbity Gook on recording and they have (laughs) nothing to do with it. But it's great to know. So, yeah, it will go all the way, all the way back. Um, We find that there's an interesting catch, though. They haven't found a uh, Kwisatz Haderach yet. They think maybe Paul could be it. This Reverend Mother seems to believe uh, he very well could be. Uh, No, I mean, I would say what what specifically does she say? Like. Uh, uh, she there's a, a mention about hope and like she's learning about Paul and she starts to think he really could be the Kwisatz Haderach and then she immediately reminds herself like oh stifle that hope because hope gets in the way of observation and we have to you know that comes first well and that Jessica looks at the situation with a mother's eyes mm-hmm. and that she sees possibility but nothing more hmm. so right from the get go Guys, Helen Mahayim has come here to give you a stamp of no. Right. You are not the Kwisatch Haderach. But uh, throughout this, not even day, this morning, this is like maybe 15 minutes that's gone by. It, it seems like she's not able to really give that stamp of no. Hmm? She's sort of proven wrong almost immediately. Um, the, the, what we end on here, though, is uh, she mentions that several men have tried to take this drug and have failed to produce this results. Like they are not the Kwisatz Haderach. And Paul mentions like, what do you mean? Like they all failed. Well, she goes, uh, yes, the one who can be many places at once, the Kwisatz Haderach. Many men have tried the drug. So many, but none has succeeded. Paul replies to her. They tried and failed all of them. To which guy is Helen Mahayam says, Oh no. She shook her head. They tried and died. That is how our chapter one closes. It's heavy. It's a great cliffhanger. There's a lot I want to sort of touch on. Uh, hopefully oh, we have enough time I, for everything. I would hope so. Uh, like, I love chapter one in this book. Uh, I'd like to mention this chapter in my book is only 17 pages long, but there feels like there's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to dive into, um, let alone that the first word of this whole chapter in that quote is a time... Uh, to take, uh, oh yeah, in the beginning uh, quotation here, it the beginning is, uh, is the time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct. And I, I think Frank Herbert definitely did a good job of putting a lot of information into your lap from the get go, and not just like buffeting you with things. Like it seems like there's a lot of important information. I don't know how many times he rewrote this first chapter. Uh, do you know how long it took him to write this first book? The first book was six years. Six years. I can only imagine that this first chapter was rewritten several different times based off of how this story developed and how these characters developed. Um, I wonder when he added these quotes, if they were after the fact or he always wanted to lead with them. Um, That is a good question. I know his editor was um, John Campbell. Uh, He was a pretty famous uh, science fiction editor at the time. 
And I think it was by his recommendation that he put these in, because it's also in other science fiction books around the era. It's where, a popular motif going around? Well, it was a popular technique to fill in backstory that you otherwise can't get to without just in like, a reasonable... So, like... Without tossing in just layers of exposition unnecessarily. Exactly. So, like, uh, take this one, for example. We were able to introduce an alternate name for the main character, two planets, and the emperor of the universe, and how long he's been on the throne within, like, six or seven sentences in the beginning of a chapter. We really sort of dive in and unpack sort of the 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 top layer of what these uh Benny Gesserit are like they're a very interesting organization um I think even yeah, just I mean so now you've met or we well, haven't met Irulan but you know of three Bene Gesserit so far is Irulan a Bene Gesserit every sister the Bene Gesserit knows uh, well okay she's I, the author I didn't know for sure though yeah, because no, so she, she is a she, historian she's writing from her perspective okay uh on commentaries on things okay it's not made clear to me sure no that's fair uh but so she is a Bene Gesserit the Lady Jessica is a Bene Gesserit and mm -hmm. Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mahayam is a Bene Gesserit uh is it is it safe to say that Paul is also a Bene Gesserit it is not damn it he, he is trained as a Bene Gesserit. But he is not one because it is a sisterhood? Correct. Okay. Yeah, there are no male members of it. They've just done some experiments on some boys over time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has... Uh, nobody's lived. All right. So so before we go on to the talking points, I would actually like to take a second, and we only have three characters in this chapter. Um, so let's kind of dive into each of them. Mm -hmm. Give you a little bit, uh, starting with, first and foremost, the young Paul Atreides. We know he is the son of Duke Leto, Atreides. Right. Uh, is it Duke Leto the second? It, Did they mention, or am I, am I thinking of things that we spoke about behind the scenes? You, uh, I, I think you might have read something that I haven't mentioned to you. There is a Duke Leto the second, but he is not our Duke Leto. Okay. Uh, so we are on Duke Leto. Uh, he does have, uh, they do refer to the old Duke. That's who you're thinking of. His uh, his father, uh, like Gaius Helamahayam, uh, mentions the old Duke, and she's uh, like, "Oh, the bravura of that man!" Uh, like, so you know he's oh the, yeah, he's a great guy. He was he died in a bullfight. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. I know you didn't. Yeah, we'll get to that eventually. That's exciting. We, we talk up about. Uh, he's honestly, it's kind of a shame we never meet him. He sounds super he sounds, cool. He sounds like an exciting dude. So that's that's uh, we're gonna meet a lot of people that knew him though. That's the grandparent on his father's side. Correct. Or grandfather on his father's side. Yes. Yep. Uh, interesting. He was the uh, he was the original duke or one of the dukes of. We've been on Castle Caladan for twenty six generations. So the the yeah. a recent duke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, they, gotcha. They've had a, so it's a in the past couple hundred years. Oh, we've had a dukedom for five thousand years. Right. No, I'm just talking about this particular one. Because they have longer lives. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Like, I think he died like 80 years ago or something. Oh, okay. all right. Um, he did, yeah, he died in a bullfight, which uh, we'll touch on later. They, they, <laughs> they talk about it. It's kind of cool. Uh, more on Paul. Paul um, grew up on Caladan really alone. Uh, mm. I can't um, emphasize his solitude enough. He didn't have any uh, kids his age to play with mm -hmm. or sort of socialize with. Yeah, very much because of the class system imposed on him. All of his socialization has just been with uh, teachers, uh, his parents, probably servants. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's it, I that's, think. I really, the, the impression I get is that's kind that's of 15 it. 15 years. Of not much. Oof. Other than kind of burying your nose in books and being the ducal heir, he's being groomed for leadership right. from the get-go. Uh, he's being taught about history. He's being sort of trained by his mother as well. Yeah, um, I wanted to mention the multiple kinds of training he is getting. So one of them not revealed in this chapter, but we'll find out later in the book. Uh, but I think it's worth telling you now is that he is being trained as a mentat. And that is intense training to compute information at lightning speed. You're basically being turned into a human computer. Yeah, they even uh, they go through three different phases where the first phase is memorization mm-hmm. and processing and hypothesizing Hmm. uh and you very distinctly go through those three where in that first memorization phase you just memorize uh in the dune encyclopedia they give you a number it's uh two times ten to the fourth oh they actually have an equation for oh yeah so twenty thousand numbers and letters you organize and have to be able to recite in order that's like step one on becoming a mentat uh so paul's gone through that that's incredible. It's also gone through the Bene Gesserit training. That's something where um, I can explain one bit of it. Uh, they do uh, prana bindu body training. So they go into a meditation and flex every single muscle in their body individually. Now, how many muscles are in the human body? I'm not I don't, an expert. Uh, that would be a fantastic number for me to have gotten for you, which I don't have. <laughs> but just imagine like... The tip of your finger, you're breaking that down into like four different flexes going down to the next knuckle. If anyone knows how many muscles are in the human body, please let us know. Any Bene Gesserit out there willing to share? (laughs) Please. Uh, It's just that kind of thorough. And I think that uh, will really reinforce their minutiae observation. That's Mm kind of where it comes from, is that they're able to just tell so quickly uh, Mm -hmm. what's going on in somebody. Uh, on top of that, the Bene Gesserit do a lot of like kind of profiling uh, where you're, you're making emotional characters of people and rash, you know, what they know and what to expect. Very Sherlock like. Yeah. And that's where the voice comes into play. Uh, the voice is different for every individual and uh, they use it more later on in the book. But it, you have to cue it in to someone. So it's sort of like a, um, a reverberation. Where it's individual to each other, like a, like a, almost like everything has a natural frequency at which it rests. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta you match to that. In, and but you do that through that minutia. Uh, yeah. So is uh, that the resonance frequency makes something shake? Yeah. Yeah. It's like hitting that. Just like with glass, you're hitting the same frequency of that. Mm-hmm. So they do that with the voice. Where uh, we'll have a few times where Paul has to. He does it, doesn't get it right, and he has to tone it in a little bit. And the person just sort of is like, what are you saying? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and you get it just right. One more time, one more time. Um, is there any yeah. questions you have on Paul? No, I mean, like, we're just meeting him. We do know that because he, you know, hasn't had a lot of uh, socializing with kids his own age, he probably hasn't had a lot of, like, uh, opposition. People are there to serve him. So... Anyone and when we when he has that conversation with uh, Reverend Mother uh, Gaius, like she just doesn't care and he doesn't like that. He feels offended. His pride, uh, which I see as a flaw, but him, he's I mean, it's all he that's just the way life is. He doesn't see it as a flaw. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think he sees himself as prideful to an extent. Maybe not the, the way that uh, Frank Herbert 
put it in here. It's it always says his pride got the better of him or spoke up. If I can find that. Right, right. And here. I think that's a fair comment from the third reverse. I'm saying I don't think Paul views it that way in the moment. Oh, that's fair. When he's making these kind of things and being a little a little jerk a little uh, brat. to an old woman like that. Your mom is clearly this subservient wo- to. Yeah, she's also terrifying. Mm. Uh, this is going to be actually another moment um, where I do want to kind of pull a bandaid off. I'm going to reveal something that we won't find out for a while on. But uh, am I going to be you, sad about this? No, you're going to be pretty happy about this. Okay. Um, and why don't actually we go through the Lady Jessica and I'll reveal this a little bit when we get to Gaius Mahayam. Okay. So the Lady Jessica, uh, one of my favorite characters. I like this, this character a lot. I think there's actually a lot to be said about her in this chapter, even though she doesn't say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's the subtext of even some of the things that uh, Gaius says. Exactly. I mean, and that's why I really wanted to make sure I could make the point to you that she was rebellious. Yeah. Um, you you said pious before, and I don't. Well, I don't, no, she's. Um, I would just say, in I would her say disciplined. I, disciplined is a better word, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, disciplined probably is a better word. But uh, Gaius makes mention that uh, why couldn't she have just had a girl like she was ordered to? Exactly. Which I think is insightful and also makes me wonder, are they capable of choosing the gender of their child? 100%. That's incredible. Mike, if you can flex every muscle on your finger, <laughs> you can move a chromosome if you need to. <laughs> It's it's as simple as A plus B. That's okay. Wow. That's yeah. Incredible no, to think about. Uh, Frank Herbert, the big thing he ran with, with every school we're going to see in this universe that augments humanity. Mm-hmm. You take one aspect and just see if you ran with it to its fullest extent, what would you end up with? So if a human could just think analytically like a machine, how far can we run with that? Well, see, we're going to get mentats. This seems to be like a reoccurring theme with... Uh, Herbert just trying to extrapolate something to the utmost ultimate like yeah, realization. And, and he tries to take it as logical as it can. And in a lot of ways uh, work in some sort of balances. So it's never like it becomes all powerful. Um, one of the big themes throughout this book is going to be like prescience. Like if you could see the future, could you solve all your problems? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, Frank Herbert says no. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is his example of how. Uh, and it's pretty profound in that way. Um, so, yeah, so that was my first sort of uh, cue in for Lady Jessica being rebellious, like you said. Um, the other one, you we mentioned briefly during our synopsis that uh, when uh, she was called in, she was left outside the room to make sure no one else disturbed Reverend Mother and Paul during this test. Yeah, specifically put on guard at the door. Which uh, I think was probably, I know Paul felt a lot of pain, but I think it may have been maybe psychologically just as painful for Lady Jessica as well, knowing she went through this same test when she was young, knowing that Gaius was sent here to give her that stamp of no, non-approval. She probably wanted to crank it up to 11. And I think she really did with the pain threshold there on Paul. Um, oh, th- let me let me just go back for a second. Uh, what are you saying that? Are you who do you think brought Gaius here? I don't think. Well, I think that's the point I want to make. And what I you guess just said, maybe it would be Lady Jessica. Why so, would she? 
does it mention who ordered her? I think, uh, can we like, ref- if you want to yeah, phrase let's, that let's just as back. a question of like, why did Gaius even come here? It, she I mentions can, it, that though. I can answer for you. She does mention it in here. Um, I believe she just mentions that even the, uh, she just says like a truth sayer couldn't avoid this duty. Yeah. In that it's a duty from the Bene Gesserit that she had to come out here, which in your notes you mentioned that she hates the um, Spacing Guild. Yeah, she does. Well, she, she hates space travel like that because it she, reminds her of the Spacing Guild. She even. doesn't like dealing with them. Yeah, yeah. They are. Um, she was uh, on a mission that required personal attention from a Bene Gesserit with the site, specifically. Um, that even she could not evade the responsibility when the duty came call. Uh, when the duty call came. So it doesn't actually reference who made the call that she has to do this. It's a duty to the order. And uh, so someone I, within the Bene Gesserit said, yeah, hey, I mean, well, I can shed some light on this. Uh, the Kwisatch Haderach is the most important breeding program within the Bene Gesserit. It's the Anakin Skywalker of. Yeah. Dude. All the prophecies lead to this one guy. Okay. Gaius Helen Mohayam is a proctor reverend mother within the Bene Gesserit. She's one of the most highest ranking of the reverend mothers. Her job is specifically to oversee this breeding program, which is the pinnacle of this entire order. Uh, I, I can't stress how large this universe is. Mm. Thousands and thousands 10, of worlds. worlds. That was 10,000 years oh, ago. Oh, so it's like a hundred We're, we're at a million easy. Uh, and it goes on and on. So think of how many billions of people and how many strands of DNA they're following mm-hmm. that this one line is chosen to form the one Kwisatch Haderach. Mm-hmm. That's the level of importance that we're at. Gaius Helen Mohayim is the one truth-sayer to the emperor. So there's one emperor, and he has one lady doing this one Amongst job. Amongst a billion worlds. To which she says, I need to take a few days to go out to Caladan. The backwater Pundi rice creating planet of this universe. <laughs> and uh, this is so it's really significant. The order is sending her out there. She is going out there particularly because an error Jessica made 15 years ago, that is to say, when she had a boy instead of a girl, mm-hmm. which is documented in the Bene Gesserit archives. Uh, she was reprimanded for this. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. She was ordered to give a daughter to the Atreides. Now, I wonder, did she, and this is again going into Lady Jessica's character, did she do that just to be rebellious? Because it doesn't seem like that's the fact. And uh, I think... Uh, Maybe you're taking rebellious in the wrong order. She was rebellious to the Bene Gesserit, not for the sake of being a rebel. She did it out of love. She loves her Duke. Uh, her and the Duke Leto are a perfect match mm-hmm. uh, within all things. Now, Good to know, because it doesn't seem like they were necessarily like, oh, I fell in love with this person. They, it seems like it was an arranged marriage. Yeah, uh, and appearances will be deceiving. We'll let the Duke, he doesn't come in for a little while. He's going to be uh, casually late to this whole affair. Uh, <laughs> As most men are. Yeah. He, oh, and he, he's worthy. He's a really, he's a cool guy. He's the <laughs> ultimate man's man. Uh, but he's going to show up and he will explain that he loves the Lady Jessica. The only reason she's a concubine is so that he can dangle the um, potential of marriage to other minor houses. As a political tool. Exactly. And that that is all it serves. Right. Otherwise, they are 100 percent devoted to each other. That's why he made the concubine's son his his ducal heir mm-hmm. and is, you know, appointed him to the throne. Uh, 
He has no intention of marrying or dealing with any other lady. Well, it's good to have a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. And so that love uh, is what caused Jessica to rebel against this order. So again, the the minutiae and training that this order puts into you, that starts at about five years old and goes on. So she was trained right up until she met Duke Leto and she was given to him to be a concubine. This love overwhelms her, and she is willing to throw off her orders, and she gives him a son. Hmm. Uh, we never go back to that moment. Uh, we're never there on their conception night. So I, she gives him a son as an, like to have like a male heir kind of deal? Or, yeah, like, oh, so a, she chooses him instead of her order? Yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's why she's been reprimanded, and just right. like, why are you doing this? Now, Jessica wouldn't have been aware how... Uh, of her place in this Kwisatz Haderach gene line. But she does say later on she had an inkling of a feeling that Paul could be it. <laughs> like an inkling of a feeling. Yeah. That's great. Oh, but let me tell you, dude, she was one generation off. Oh, don't tell me too much. No, I, well, it doesn't happen, Mike. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> Gaius Helen was supposed to take this daughter and breed it with another specific male who is alive currently. Paul. And that... Well, no, Paul's not it. Oh, Paul's not what we want to get the Kwisatz Haderach. Paul's what we have. Paul's what you get if you stop one generation oh. early. So we're watching a plan that's been in place for at least uh, 10,000 years fall apart. Oh, that's nice. what Gaius Helen Mahayim has come out here to oversee. Oof. And there's, I mean, like, there's no redos on that one. No, no, <laughs> you're done. Can you? Yeah. Can you even imagine? Like, I mean, oh, no. potentially Jessica could have another child. But for some reason, it seems like that's not in the cards because we've waited 15 years and we've gotten to this point. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Does the 15 years really matter? Couldn't couldn't they just have another child? Would it matter? Well, I'm I'm just saying, like, if you were going to have another child, wouldn't you have done it in that 15 years? I guess. Because we were going to breed it with a specific male who's already alive. So he's aging. Like, that part of the gene line was already there. Hmm. So I don't see why you couldn't just pop out a second one. Do we ever get to meet this individual who would have been? Yes. Oh, that's exciting. Don't uh, we even meet an individual who would have been, but isn't. One of the ones that Mahayam talks oh. about. He didn't take the test, but he was in the line. Oof. Oof. He's one of my favorite characters. This, it's really exciting. This is really cool. When, uh, but before moving on too much, I will have one last thing I want to mention with Lady Jessica. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Paul takes this test, she's standing guard outside, and she's called in by um, Gaius. I think... Um, the trigger for that uh, summoning is when uh, she senses in Paul, like, you, you have a lot of hate towards us, don't you? And then calls in Jessica and says, like, do you still hate me? Like, is this hate coming from you? Yeah, she brings in the lady Jessica and asks her specifically, Jessica, do you hate me? To which Jessica responds. No, it's not do you hate me, it's do you it? still hate me. Do you still? She knows that she, like, hates her and loves her at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, what I love in that uh, sentiment, and actually, this might be a perfect place to drop the little information that I have for you, is uh, she says uh, along the lines, I actually want to look it up real quick to get you the exact quote. Because um, that's like towards the very end, right? 
Uh, oh yeah, you hate us a little. The door flew open. I like, so this is kind of the door. It flew, flew open. open. And it stood there, hard-eyed into the room. Hardness melted. She saw Paul. She, and she makes a point saying, like, uh, she sees that her son's alive and everything. That he hasn't failed the test and been killed. And she says, my son is alive. Like, he's human. I knew he was human all along, but he's been approved. He is alive. And that means that I am alive and I can continue living. Because I think if she has been as rebellious as she has. Um, I, the rebel- I mean, I think it was just in that one moment. Okay. Like, uh, for me to highlight, like, she would do anything for that Duke. She is still a Bene Gesserit yeah, through and through. Fair. Because, like, well, for an example, she put her son under this test. If she would do that for her Duke, what would she do for her son? If her son died, do you think, is she conscious of the fact that maybe she wouldn't control herself? That she would knowingly know that she would be no match, attempt to kill Reverend Mother Gaius? No, I, I think that's a little far. You think that's far? Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, one, not, they're not animals, first and foremost. Oh, okay. So as much as you want her to react that's, in a violent way, that's a I, good point. I think the sadness would be overwhelming. You think she would take her own life? No, I think she would leave with Mohayam. Uh, well, she might, maybe. She would. I, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> see, like, what my initial thought is that she would leave and they would smuggle her out because she can't stay there anymore. But then part of me feels like I think she would tell the Duke herself of his son's fate and suffer whatever fate he saw fit. Man, uh, that's a tough one to like ponder on, but I do wonder like, what was her plan? What would have happened if in the more likely scenario, Paul was an animal. Do you think that answer exists somewhere out there? If there's like a draft. Yeah. uh, If he wrote a short story that he then changed (laughs) into a book. Maybe not that, but yeah, I, I don't know. It is it is an interesting one though that I, I I find myself pondering more and more. Who's still alive? Who can we who can we call on this? Authorwise. Oh, oh, no one. <laughs> no one. No. I mean, we can call his son if you want. Uh, uh, it's not the same. Let's uh let's go on to Gaius Helen Mahayam though. Okay. If you don't have anything more on the Lady Jessica, any uh, lingering questions? Hyen. Uh, Caius Helen Mahayam is a great character. And so she has that playful conversation with everybody kind of along the way. She pokes Jessica a little bit. She pokes Paul. I love that she always smiles kind of back at Paul as he does these things. Uh, And we don't know Jessica's father at all. Uh, We know that's a mysterious line and some aren't supposed to know uh, in case they need to be bred with a cousin or this or that. Um, but I'm going to tell you who her mother is. Ooh. And her mother is in the room with her. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, wait, time out here. Is this like too big of a spoiler to like put? No, no. Is it going to be added like immediately in the like in next chapter? No. But book wise, it's not critical. I don't think it's that mind blowing to know. Do you really want to leave it out? I mean, it, my mind is blown. Uh, but like Mahayam, she doesn't come back for a long, long, long time. Oh. Uh, that's why. Is that too big of a reveal for you? I felt like it was. I felt like that would have had more gravity if I'd gotten like a book or two in and learned that and be like, what? And no, but see, I that. have to tell you at the end of this book, regardless, there is a quintessential scene which you can't appreciate if you don't know that. Okay. So that's where it's complicated for me. 
Okay. Where I want to fill in some things for you. And this is, uh, this is a reveal that doesn't change the course of the story. But I think lets you have a more insightful view of what's going on within that character's mind. Is Do you think well it's more exciting the second time reading it and learning this? Or... Because, like, what was your experience when you first learned? I don't know when I learned it. It's way, way down the line. I think I might have even picked it up from the encyclopedia. No, I learned it from Brian Herbert's books. So I finished the series without knowing it. So, disappointment. (laughs) Disappointment? No, literally. Like, there is a scene at the end of this book. It is super cool, only if you know that Guy's Helma Hyam is in their gene Okay. So for anyone listening, then this is going to just accentuate the experience. I understand this is hard. Yeah, I mean, so how do I we... mean, it's hard, but like I'm trusting you here. I'm going on a going on a ledge leap of faith here. That's wild, though. It's great. Uh, so... She was her servant for 14 years, or is that just uh, was he, she her servant within the Bene Gesserit or was she just referring to the fact that she was her daughter? No, no, she was her. So that's wild. Okay, Gaius Helen Mahayam is a consummate professional mm-hmm. uh, through every step of the way. She was her serving wench. That was her position. She treated her like every other sister in the Bene Gesserit. Uh, so when she says in this quote, um, "Do you still hate me? Like I hate you for the pain that you put me through, but the lesson, the pain that I have to remember for the lessons. But I love you because." And then Gaius interrupts her and says, "I know, I know, for the fact of the matter yeah. that that means a little something more that's, now." That's why I feel like I want to be able to show this kind of stuff to you. See, uh, I thought the fact of the matter maybe that was like some sort of like mentor trainee thing that happened, but like, oof. but I think knowing that colors the uh conversations between her and paul especially and that i think that is why she gives him so much leeway to be a little like brat because he's literally her grandchild yeah whoa wait a second now now like the bene Gesserit, they're not emotional and they don't like um give in to every petty feeling but I think she might indulge herself a little bit with this one. All right. So I'm I'm kind of freaking out here because there's another while we're on the, the subject of this. Uh, I know we, we just finished up with Lady Jessica, but I got to dive into this. I want to know Lady Jessica's father. They mention it very briefly. They never say who uh, it's. I think it's just in uh, uh, Paul mentions that like, Oh, why doesn't my mother know who her parents were? Mm -hmm. And she, you know, uh, Gaius plays it off as they, you know, most Bene Gesserit don't know who their family is. That's just the way that we do things with breeding stock. Uh, We do it for what needs to happen, not for, you know, what you want to know. But Gaius in, I think, an introspective moment, she says to herself, uh, the maternal grandparent of uh yeah that's in the it's in the third person narration yeah the, uh, maternal, the, third, the maternal grandparent who cannot be named who cannot be named not like not because they don't know who it is all the names are recorded but if what you say is true not only it she knows who it is because it is the person she guys hell mahayam knows yeah yep. that she had uh oh yeah that she her child had with, lady jessica. with so she knows who it is and refuses to tell lady jessica 
That is an improper characterization where okay. she is not allowed to tell Lady Jessica. Oh, interesting. Don't put every decision up to just her. This is a democratic order. I'm going by what I know. Sure, sure. What I've read, yeah. which is 17 pages. <laughs> and you didn't figure it all out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she is not going to tell her. And specifically in the book, they do mention it. It's so if you have to be bred with a close relative, it's just kept secret. Also, uh, within the Bene Gesserit, so we know with the Lady Jessica, uh, a Bene Gesserit can be a concubine to a royal house. Royal houses can sometimes get even um, a reverend mother might be the one they need to breed. They might hide her title and not tell you she's a reverend mother because you might be suspicious of such a high ranking Bene Gesserit coming into your house Mm. just for them to get the genes and do what they need to do. I find it so interesting that... uh mentally and philosophically they measure someone's worth of being a human based off of their ability to ration like rationale things uh but once they do that it's all doesn't matter who you are we just need the genes hmm. you know i mean that's yeah, what yeah, my understanding yeah i'm taking so your far. more your interpretation of the test where she makes it very clear that pain is just the access and she is monitoring a lot of things at once well, what do they call it? They call it uh, observation of crisis, I believe mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'm just trying to superimpose on you that it's uh, a Bene Gesserit observing these things. So it's on a level deeper than what you and I would ever see. Okay, okay that's fair. That, that's what I'm alluding to. So kind of giving them uh, greater leeway to look into the depths of your soul. And I can't tell you what they are inferring. A little bit of uh, narrative like freedom there. Yeah, a little deus ex machina yeah. of like okay. it could be anything. Um, but that I, I think it is more than just rationale. I think it's more than just how you react to pain. I think it's this real culmination, sum of all parts that they mm-hmm. are able to judge from some super level. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Let's see here. We got to get through some of this. Uh, we, I think we talked about Paul's prescience already, so I'm willing to skip that. Um, I, well, uh, we didn't in it so much, but, um, all I really have to say, so Paul has a dream in a cavern where he sees it's sort of cathedral, like in its size, people are solemnly surrounding. Him. Right. Dimly lit, dimly lit with glow globes. All around. <laughs> yeah. We're finally getting the glow globes. Yeah. Uh, I find it interesting. They, he mentions glow or glow globes in the dream. But prior to that, I think in the third person narration, they call them something else. It's, uh, what was it? Oh, um, suspenser lamps is what they call them instead. Ah, that is. But, yeah. So yeah. pretty much but the, almost the uh, same thing, the same thing. Uh, it's possible that the glow globe doesn't float. The suspenser lamp might have the suspenser nullification effect oh, that my. allows it to kind of defy gravity. Uh, whereas a glow globe might be sort of just this, uh, Think of a device that doesn't need a power source. It's okay. got a uh, inherent charge in it. They okay. Okay. Light. Uh, that is a, a wow. Really good catch. Yeah. Uh, that's a small little difference between the two of uh, basically the same technology. Uh, but yeah, so he has this dream uh, where he sees this cavern and we specifically end the dream with a uh, Paul saying that uh, he's going to remember it because he always remember dreams that are prophetic so this means that this obviously this is not the first one this is not like a life-changing moment like oh this happens all the time i'll remember it i always do because these are the ones that come true right 
So this is something where this is outside of all that other advanced training he's getting. This isn't a Bene Gesserit thing. This isn't a Mentat thing. This isn't a noble thing. This is something very particular to Paul. Uh, and from the clues in the chapter, we can really only derive that it is a component of the Kwisatch Haderach. This is kind of that guy that can be many places at once. Right. Uh, and it's, it's another one of Paul's very unique attributes. That so no has. one else has this ability. No. Um, not Intriguing. The, so the Bene Gesserit do to a little extent, but not at all on the level that he's experiencing. Hmm. It is, uh, it's really unique to him and something that we're going we're gonna to watch as we go through. Um, I would especially like, uh, as we go, I believe we are actually going to see the scene later on. So I'm wondering if you'll be able to place it uh, when we get to that point. Okay. I'm excited for this. Um, moving on. So yeah, I think the presence is interesting there. I do think that uh, Paul seems somewhat of a prodigy where he can sense truth just like uh, Gaius can. Yeah, uh, and he's 15 years old. Right. And, he's, and a male at that point. Yeah. And, well, the, the true sense for him, I, I get the feeling that it is sort of... Is it not a Bene Gesserit trait? Is it more it, of a... It is, well, that's a confusing point um, that it is, but it's for like the most highly trained of the Bene Gesserit. I'm not okay. sure that Jessica has that full ability. I don't think so, because even... Uh, Mahayim is surprised by it. She really is. And she said, my favorite, cool, hot. Uh, which is like a phrase that basically means like uh, to see uh, and it's sort of the equivalent in Spanish. They use the phrase mira mira, uh, which means like to look, to look. Oh, uh, okay. okay. So that's when uh, the old woman brings that up a lot. Like, cool. Wad. Yeah, no, this is like, I, I couldn't understand what she was saying. So like, I just assumed she used to be like, what the hell? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Just like, look at this thing. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Um, but Paul, yeah, Paul has true sense. Very atypical to it. That's crazy. The the Bene Gesserit are wild. Yeah. Do you uh, so, have you gotten a feel for what order? Uh, they're, so they're, they're from what I've gathered, they're truth sayers. They're incredibly heightened in observation and can sense the most minutia of details. Mm -hmm. Let me wow. just uh, augment the truth sayer bit is a small fraction of the Bene Gesserit. Okay. But the observation is that is more everybody. like what everyone else sort of like knows them as the truth sayers. No, I think you're waiting. The fact that the one you've met is a truth sayer. The majority. Oh, only, oh again, this is the, the emperor's truth sayer. Okay. The importance of Gaius Helmahayim is singular to her. Yeah, I don't think I really gave her. I mean, like, I knew she was important, but I, I guess maybe I didn't give her enough weight. It's it's hard to. I mean, they don't give you any frame of reference to. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm here to color is the circumstance of the Kwisatch breeding line. Critical. All these people are solely unique within this universe. Okay. Uh, just genetically. Then Gaius Helamahayam, on top of that, is in a very unique position of power within this universe. So within, uh, early in this chapter, during, uh, I guess not during, uh, earlier, but during the test of the uh, Gamjabar, there is, uh, Paul's freaking out and he recites himself uh, what's called the litany against fear to sort of try and quell his uh, anxiety in the moment. Uh, this is from the Bene Gesserit training his mother gave him. What? All right. Tell me about the litany against fear or litany of fear. What do you call it? The litany against fear is definitely the proper name. Okay. And I think I always call it the litany of fear. 
Okay. Either one's kind of interchangeable if, like, you were going to search it on Google. You're only going to find the one thing. And this is, like, a almost a poem that Frank Herbert has composed within this uh, work. I don't know what he based it on. He was a big student of uh, Zen. He learned it from Alan Watts himself, uh, which is very cool in the 60s. And I, I think it was it must be derived from a work in that. Uh, I will gladly look into that more for you and maybe touch back. Uh, the Litany of Fear, this is not the last time we heard it. Okay, it's amazing to it's, listen to. It's honestly a staple of the series. Is uh, it really? Yeah, it's one of it's probably shows up in every book. Uh, even in the Sun's version of it, they do a great twisted version where Gaius Helen is taunting this person. Uh, and makes it all about being afraid. And this may only be my version, but like in uh, in my book, it's completely italicized, which I thought definitely, you know, gave it some sort of importance, not just that he was like reciting this to himself. Um, yeah, just as reference, it uh, it says, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. That is some heavy stuff. Holy. Isn't, that's one of those things where, like, when you finish uh, even just chapter one, like, that will stick with you until the end of days. That's, uh, it's Yeah, I, like, I can only ever really recollect those first couple lines. Uh, the... I will turn my inner eye and watch it pass through that part. I, I always bu- butcher it, uh, so to speak. Right. But the beginning is so good. It's crazy. I love that. It's so wonderful. I wonder how many people out there have just got that like memorized, committed to memory. I think a good amount of people. Probably enough of them have a tattoo of it, it almost, for the ones I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, like it's. I, I feel it's like a mantra, but like I can almost see that as a prayer. In a yeah. Sense. Yeah. I think prayer is perfectly good rationale for it. It's, it's crazy cool. I like that. And uh, yeah, we're going to see it. it's going to come up at every point of great tension when Paul or Lady Jessica needs to find kind of grounding. Uh, they're either going to just reference. I'm going to recite the litany of fear or we start reciting the words out. I will not fear. Like fear I kind of want to like memorize that just so that if I do have a moment of anxiety, if I say that, like, do you th- like, you know, do you think I'll have that moment of introspection and saying like, it's okay. It's going to be all right. I've definitely muttered fear is the mind killer to myself. Really? Yeah. Like, again, I can't go beyond that because I just forget it. But uh, <laughs> it hammers at home. Like, fear is a mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. And you go, okay, I'm ready for this. Like, mm-hmm. I can do this. Uh, and just knowing that, like, once it's all over, like, you're just here. All that matters. Right. And it, it definitely... Uh... It puts fear in its place as recognizing as no, this isn't important. It doesn't matter. This is as temporary. It's temporary. It's fleeting. And I just have to weather it. I have to hit it face on. It's like a storm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have to face the storm, write it out, and the storm will pass. That is uh, very aptly described. We are eventually going to go on a little uh, ride in a, it's kind of like a helicopter. They call it a thopter. But we're going to go into the storm and we're going to ride the storm until the storm passes. I play. okay. so describe to me what a Thopter is in the Dune universe, because I play magic. 
Thopter is like a tiny little like it's, artifact. It's, it's little a conversation machine. for another time. Oh, okay. Like, I'm yeah. so excited. Sorry, to hear like, that is. I know you want to, but it is nothing You're to do with this chapter. Derek. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on. There's a reference uh, when Paul is is thinking about Arrakis, Dune, where him and his family are going to be moving to shortly. What he's heard from his teacher uh, is that it doesn't follow. A uh, was it a Farfaluchus caste system, which I guess is prominent in the empire? What is that caste system exactly? So, that word I did search to high hell and high water to find mm-hmm. the entomology for that word. Uh, Farfaluchus, uh, all one word, has nothing that I could determine, I it is completely made up. Uh, I, I can try breaking it up, I guess. That might be a way. Maybe it's two words, but I searched it as was in the book and I found nothing. But Frank Herbert does have a definition in the uh, Dune Encyclopedia as well as the glossary of the book. And that is the Fafra Luchas is a caste, uh, caste system where every man has his place and every man in his place. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Damn. It, it is just kind of this feudal society. That has taken root and we've built this empire off of. Interesting. Um, that is actually one of Frank Herbert's kind of philosophies going into this book is he believes that feudalism is the a natural form of government that man will take. Not hmm. that it's the only one or it's the correct one, but it's just a natural form will always roll into. And part of the evolution of it, if you would. Yeah, yeah, just of our species. Uh, you think it's really just ingrained down in and mm. that we fall into this hierarchy where you have a surf population producing the majority of product. You have a mer- merchant population that distributes that uh, resources they create. You have a military population that protects the sub ones. And then you have a nobility population that administers all the sub ones. And then finally, a emperor or king or in our case, a Padi Shah emperor on top of that. Right. Kind of uh, reaping <laughs> the king all emperor the in charge, boss man. Master King Emperor. <laughs> there you go. Very specific. Oh, Master King Emperor. All right. Uh, so the Farfar Lodge is imposed in all of the Imperium. Farfaluchus? Farfaluchus. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's the wine, Derek. It's the wine. It's the wine. It lets me uh, take on a kind of Mark Twain aspect to every word. <laughs> If you only got one pronunciation, you're half-assing it. Uh, only one way to say a word. Um, so Okay, so we have a little bit of insight into what that is. Uh, yeah, and that it is everywhere else in the universe. It's pretty imposed. The planet we're going to, Arrakis, is the one place where it's kind of lax. Of, what, maybe a million planets? This is the one where it's not heavily enforced. Now, why? Just because of the spice? Because that's the only source of spice. Yes, uh, I would say so because of the spice, but because the spice is what's bringing us there. If there was no spice on this world, we no one would be no one would go here. Uh, there'd be no reason for it's the a end. dead planet. Yeah, there's no water. There's no reason to build there. OK, and we um, this isn't mentioned very, the, very little water, I should say. It's not mentioned in the book and it's not really mentioned in this chapter either. But like it's, you know, it's the title of the book, Dune. It's mm. the plane we're going to Dune. We've got to know a little something about Dune. Um, we, we mentioned briefly in our own private talks that this is the center of the empire or universe or the map of it, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when they were making galactic coordinates, 
they decided on this planet because no one would fight over it because there was nothing. Because it was just there. so useless. They're like desert world. No one wants to go. Might as only well make that zero out, zero zero. <laughs> only to find out how many years later this. Oh, this is actually the most valuable resource we have. Yeah, it's a, it's really a beautiful irony of making that the center of the universe mm-hmm. and then it becoming the center of the universe. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a, a, a long running motif of uh, juxtaposed dualities. And I just threw out a bunch of big words for no reason, but like they work. Yeah. Uh, for example, chapter one and chapter two, we're going to see the Atreides. Chapter two is going to be their enemies, the Harkonnens. I'm excited to learn about the Harkonnens. It's just mentioned briefly that like they are the mortal enemy of this house. And I think even uh uh, mother reverend or reverend mother just like laughs like oh you think i'm a harkonnen that's what you think this is about like oh silly child petty you <laughs> exactly so that that's exciting to learn i want to i'm excited to get to do we have six chapters to go before we get there yeah we're gonna do uh six chapters so only five more uh <sighs> taking place on caladan uh and then you know mike just take a sweet you're never gonna get to come back here this that's is a fine. beautiful world of beaches and endless wine and rice like it's pretty awesome this oh, castle can you get a wine list from caladan can we get some caladan wine up in this joint i'll, I'll see what i can get uh, on the next shipment coming on in the guild highlight <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll get something awesome. nice wonderful um all right so with Dune and Rockus, we know they're spice we know it's a valuable resource it's some sort of drug it helps promote um mentats is that right it, everybody everyone everyone, everyone. well it extends life so royalty so purchases actually it on uh end. the mentats least of all uh they don't oh they're just trained they're, they are not dependent on spice yet. oh interesting the oh. bene Gesserit and the spacing guild are dependent on spice okay wait the bene Gesserit's dependent on spice wait is the is that the drug they use yeah, the drug for the true sayer is the same thing. Oh, I thought it was different. It's it's derived from spice. Uh, oh, it's derived from spice. Yeah. Uh, so it's not exactly spice. So spice is like the raw material, and then you can sort of like use it for a bunch of different applications. Yes. I I mean, I got to leave it a little vague. Okay, right that's now. fine. That's fine. We, I don't want to know. Uh, I want to be surprised let, by this. Let me just say that like the spice is a great mystery of this universe, and it's going to be one of the things we're unpacking a little bit more as we go. Okay, I'm so, excited for that. I don't want to give you the full bit of it, but um, I will tell you it's the component within each of these things. That they there were uh, there's two more things I want to mention about Arrakis. Yeah, Dune. what do you got? Uh, and I only I use those words uh, interchangeably because Dune, awesome name. Arrakis, awesome name. So I just want to always use them both. Uh, so Dune Arrakis, uh, Paul mentions uh, the Fremen, which, who is that? The Desert Folk? Yeah, they are literally the Fremen. That is like... That, that is what that it's is. a literal... A okay, that's fine. Conjunction, yeah. Um, and that they are not on an imperial census. So they don't they don't uh, appear on any imperial census, and that's just because we can't get to them to count them. Right now, the Harkonnens are in charge of that world. They do not care about the Fremen. Um, I, how many Fremen? But if the Emperor, oh, I have no idea how many there are. But if the Emperor said, "Hey, get a census," why wouldn't the Harkonnens do that? Well, I mean, like if there are only ten thousand people out in the desert, you have like a couple hundred. Mil- how many jobs do they have to do though? Well, I'm just saying, no, I mean, it's such a minority population, like with the work it would take for you so to it doesn't, count oh, them. So it's almost negligible. Like, yeah. oh, we don't need a census. Like, there's literally like a handful. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So oh, okay. when we start, I mean, like, 
it is it is difficult and dangerous to move around Arrakis in general, even with the technology of the Imperium. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to go out and just count these nomadic tribes and do it. The Harkonnens don't think it's worthwhile. There's okay. not enough of them to make it a matter to even it's delve like more into. expensive than it's worth. And oh, like, yeah. Who really cares at the end of the day? Is that sort of like the mentality of everything? Yeah. So that's why. All so right. like we do an imperial census and there are people that live in what we call the uh, the sink and the pan are the kind of basins in the world uh, of of Dune where it's like rocky outcropping. It's not all dust and sand blowing around. So you can have a stable settlement in these areas. And those people, they are all on the census. So we do stuff on Dune and Arrakis. We know some numbers and whatnot. But the the Fremen are just completely written off by the Imperium and the Harkonnens because it's like difficult and just not worth it. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of that sums up everything I want to know about Dune and Arrakis. Uh, We did we touch on the voice? It was sort of like a frequency at which someone can. It's command. like it is like hitting the resonant frequency within a specific individual. So it's like being observant enough to notice someone's frequency and sort of like tuning forking your voice to match that. Yeah, and that complete dominance. over that, that. That's the perfect comparison. This is and, like a D&D command spell right, right now. So you have to have heard them speak before. You need to dial into their how they talk. So the the le- the less uh tuned into this practice you are the more you need to hear them talk to really hone in or no but i would say i i i don't know uh I, maybe you're right um, I, I have no i'm guessing no no yeah i mean i've only met a few people who have the voice uh it's a really specific skill oh it's very rare yeah it's something it how takes, does he know about it then his mom taught him it uh so jessica has the voice as well uh oh sh- what yeah yeah the bene Gesserit have it I'm all just, of them. Uh, most, most, if not all. See, you have to have completed your training. Okay. So you don't need to be a reverend mother, but you need to be a full sister. Is that sort of like you graduate when you can prove that you can do this? Partly. Okay. Their graduation is in a number of phases. Right. Um, that's a good side episode we can dive so he, into. So he's aware of it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and like I said, yeah, uh, I... I think it's just is a matter of uh, I don't know if someone more or less skilled would take have to hear them more or less. I just know that to do it, you need to tone into a specific person's resonant frequency. So you hear them talking. You can get a word out and you can like adjust it as you go. Like it might make them like say I tell you to turn around, but I get it a little off. You might jerk your neck. Stop. Go back to what you're doing. And that gives me time to be like, oh, I was off a little bit. <laughs> Wait a second. Got to be a little louder, a little more baritone. Just imagine sort of like adjusting the tuning on a ham radio, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like just like, a moment. Too much static, and you get it. Uh, but uh, when you got it, you know it. <laughs> that's it, crazy cool. And you can make someone do. I what think, an interesting like power. Mm-hmm. I it, love that. It, it it it. He honestly and. For how godlike they're making Paul to start off, uh, we're going to see how unable he is to meet a lot of challenges that's, that are set before him. See, that's interesting because it from chapter one, it really does feel like he is again. I've said the word already like a prodigy. He knows a lot of what's going on. He asks a lot of the right questions, I want to say. Yeah. And uh, it seems like he's really in the know, like, oh, man, this guy is actually something. But what you're saying is that we're going to go in a few chapters more and he's just going to be sort of lost in the wind, not knowing like what is going on. 
Uh, I, I would find a middle ground before between where we are. So not totally lost, but he's not going to be 100% confident of himself. All right. We're going to be watching him just meet challenges. And even with all these amazing abilities, it's not going to be easy for him. And it's never going to be a sure thing or he'll know it right from the get go. Uh, we're going to watch him struggle. I guess it's just the only way I can really describe it. I mean, he's 15 years old. He is. Yeah. That age uh, sucks. <laughs> Let alone. Yeah. <laughs> Always keep in mind, Paul is moving. He's going through puberty. <laughs> like, there's a lot on his plate right now, let alone the factions of the universe moving against his family. Let alone no one can ever lie to him. <laughs> like, he can see the future. Sure. Like, whatever. Yeah, that's your norm. That's, okay, a, that's a Monday. <laughs> that's crazy. So, that's, I mean, that's sort of the majority of chapter one there, right? I mean, we sort of got the basis of what we need, what we've learned. And I mean, I got to say, like, I knew I knew nothing about Dune sort of going into this, uh, getting together to do this. You podcast. came to the table with some really great questions. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I, I mean, I'm in. You Excellent. got me. This is a 17 pages of gold. I loved it. Is I read it a few times just because one, because I want to be prepared. I didn't want to seem like the idiot going into this podcast, but also it was engaging. It was interesting. There was every time I read it, I felt like I learned one or two more facts that I didn't quite catch the time before. Now that, me, that's the experience I have when I read the book. Really? Like each time I read the book, especially in say the first three times. So I read it each year after the first time I would follow a different character's thread through it. Hmm. And you can make out all of their machinations and objectives as you're going through and kind of see like, oh, he was reacting here and here when I was distracted by this plot point or that plot point. Uh, I mean, to the audience, like if this is your first time reading, maybe consider rereading each chapter once or twice just to sort of maybe elevate your understanding. If you've read this book before in the series, you're an avid fan. Maybe reread the book, but keep one or two characters in mind while doing it. This could be sort of. Uh, oh, yeah. Always track that one character you didn't pay attention to last time. Yeah, it could be very enriching. I mean, I, that's probably true for a lot of different uh, narratives out there in books. But for this one particularly, I've found that the subtext is so powerful and insightful. It is. It is a structure of plots within plots, wheels within wheels. It's I mean, like, like I said, I'm in. I love this. This is great. Um, we're going to move into uh, a little segment that I'm going to have fun with called the glossary game. Now, at the back of the Dune book, there is a glossary. Uh, he's very unforgiving. Frank Herbert's very unforgiving with uh, mentioning things and sort of going on about things. And I appreciate that. I don't want all that exposition while I'm reading and enjoying this narrative. Well, no, I think part of it's like if you want to be in a world, you want to be in that world. You don't want it to have all right. these signposts to say like, oh, this is meant to be just like a normal chair, but we call it this. Right. And I think a lot of times, especially in today's books that you have out there, um, oftentimes they will take a paragraph or two to describe, oh, the word I just used means it's it kind of takes you away from the moment. It also kind of makes you feel like an idiot at times, even though it shouldn't because like, it's a made up word. They're telling you what it means. Mm -hmm. You know, that's fine. But um, again, sort of the suspension of disbelief. I'm just here as a spectator viewing this situation. If I want to know all this means, I have this handy dandy list of glossary notes and words that I can look up. And again, like I 
was uh, previously saying, if you reread it, you may find a little bit more insight, especially after you look through this glossary once with some of those keywords that you said, what does this mean? Um, so I got a couple, I got a whole glossary here. And to test Derek on his knowledge of the Dune universe, the Duneverse. Oh, one will. bottle oh. of wine later. <laughs> one bottle of wine later. Hey, you need a refill before I go ahead and play oh, this game please, with you. Please, please. You're right. right. If you can twist my arm. All right. So uh, the, the list is uh, substantial, but at the same time, I don't want to burn through it all at once. We want to make this last for a little bit. So I'm picking two words per episode to see what you know about them. Okay, and I don't and know these words. You don't. Oh, you may you, or may you not. You picked them while we were setting up. Yeah. I made sure I, I didn't I picked look. this right before the episode so you couldn't cheat and look what I had. Some of them are going to be out there. Some of them are probably going to be obvious. I don't know. I tried to pick words that at least made kind of sense to me at the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah. For some of them, they don't really make sense to me as well. But, you know... I just want to fool Derek. So first off, I have a wonderful word that I found at the end of this glossary in the W's. Ooh, that's my favorite letter. Oh. I think I know these ones. <laughs> There's a lot of things that start with water, let me tell you. <laughs> but the uh, the word specifically that I wanted to uh, ask you about. What'd you come up with? Weirding. Oh, that's a good one. So the weirding way, is that even what it mentioned specifically? No, no, I have a definition here. And for okay. anyone like playing along with us at home, if you get this and Derek doesn't, then you're a better person than Derek. That's probably true on so many levels. Uh, <laughs> let me attempt, though. Uh, I know weirding as uh, they always refer to it as the weirding way. And it is, I think, how the Fremen observe the ritualistic ways of the Bene Gesserit. And they're kind of like... Um, I don't know if it's necessarily just their minutia of observation, but also their like physical techniques. Where, where do I fall in that definition? You're actually pretty close. So that, it's, that's kind of all I got to give you. The word itself, it says that it's idiomatic. Okay. Uh, and what it, it describes is that it, uh, that which partakes of the mystical or of witchcraft, which I think, my, you oh, know, okay. Benny Jesser, that would well, fall under well, that no, 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 More specifically, that is like the Fremen viewing of it. Um, so the so Fremen, is it a Fremen word? Yeah, yeah. They use it a lot talking about the Bene Gesserit. Oh. Uh, and we'll, we'll touch on why that overlaps. I don't want to reveal that for you just now. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but like uh, the Bene Gesserit, they, you've picked up their, what kind of organization do you think they are? Um, do you get like they're like a political kind of entity? Well, or? the political is, I don't know if that's necessarily like who they are as a whole. I think that's definitely their job yeah. and their, uh, their school. That's what the sort of their, let me uh, just paint that the, they got a religious component to them. Uh, I want to know more about that, but oh, I bet you do. <laughs> like, of course, damn you, of Derek. course you do. Damn you! It's super weird and super interesting. I <laughs> super know all weirding, about it. If you uh, would, yeah. Uh, I should yeah. have you use these in a sentence. That's what I should do. Ooh, but I don't even know if that would help. In some <laughs> cases, like, that might be more confusing. <laughs> let's uh, let's skip to our next word. Yeah, the second no, word, I, the last word for I'm the just, day. I'm just I'm gonna claim half credit on that one at the very least. Yeah, you, you did okay actually. Okay, it wasn't precise, but it was like it was used in the correct context. We, yeah, and the ambiguities undid us. All right, so this one's gonna be a hard one. I feel okay because it's only three letters. That's all I need. All right, A Q L. Anyone for playing at home? 
AQL. See if you can stump Derek on this one. AQL. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, is it at least an abbreviation? Um, I think it may have been at one point. From what it looks like, it doesn't have the uh, the proper words to make it an abbreviation anymore. For what it's known as. Yeah. No, I'm. I have nothing. I stumped him. I hope AQL. someone listening stumped him as well. It is a AQL, the test of reason. Originally, the seven mystic questions. What? <laughs> beginning, who is it that thinks? AQL. Hey, hey, it's in the glossary. I thought you were the expert, Derek. I know. I will. I will make flashcards. <laughs> I am ashamed. <laughs> But I feel like you have taken devious steps to win this game <laughs> that will be addressed off mic. Yeah. AQL. <laughs> Not a spice in the world. All right. Well, maybe we'll see what happens next time. Obviously, I'm not going to reuse these. Um, why don't you play us out, Derek? Oh, well, uh, we're going to be uh, in next week, Mike. And... We're going to be starting on as we dive deeper into chapter two. And this is going to be us meeting the villains of the series, House Harkonnen, specifically the, the Vladimir Harkonnen. The sworn enemies of the Atreides. Sworn enemies for over five. Oh, my God. No. Ten thousand years. Uh, yeah. Ten thousand since the we had guild happen. We're going to go right into Getty Prime and we'll meet them in their capital. Uh, least inventive name of all time. Harko. 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 Not very original. Where the Harkonnens live. Not very original. Nope. Fortunately, we never go back there. So it's pretty. <laughs> I think even Frank Herbert wrote this one off. It's like, you know, don't worry. Don't think too hard. Don't think too hard. Don't think. Like, don't stress yourself. We got AQL. Uh, so with that, I think uh, the spice must flow. We'll see you next week. My name's Derek. My name's Mike. Have a great time.